0: Our scripture today is Mark 7, 1 through 23. The Word of God speaks to us like this. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders— This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared, all food's clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of God to us.
1: Thanks, Marsha. Good morning, guys. How are you? It's good to see everybody today. Thanks for being here. If uh, I haven't met you yet, my name is Josh Curry. I'm one of the pastors, and we're walking through the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. So if you have a Bible, you can start finding it. Uh, If you don't own a Bible and you want one, we've got some of the window sills in the downstairs. Feel free to take one of those with you. If you want a fancy Bible, grab one out of Lost and Found. There's a bunch in there. All right, and uh, I'm going to pray for you guys and ask you to pray for me, and we're going to dive in and talk through what it means to actually be defiled and what it means to actually be cleansed. So Father, would you please rescue us from the delusions of man-centered religion? The thought that we, through our activities or our effort or our habits or our rituals can somehow make ourselves presentable to you like where we're deluded about just how badly we need your help, we pray that you would show us the reality of our hearts today. We pray that you would give us hope today that in the finished work of Jesus, you've done something that actually cleanses. And I pray today that you would speak. Holy Spirit, would you come and be our teacher? We ask for your help in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey man, it's, uh, it's funny how often you can be confronted with cultural differences that seem so foreign to you. I remember years ago in my 20s, I got the chance to go to Nepal for about a month And um, at that time, there just weren't a lot of, there weren't a lot of interactions between Nepal and OKC. Um, It was really hard to meet Nepali friends in OKC. And so my first time going to Nepal, I got to hang out with all these young guys in their 20s. And my job was to sort of preach and teach and encourage people in the midst of medical missions that we were doing in villages. And I remember one day I was walking with these guys that I had just met, these young dudes about my age, and we're walking down the street and I'm in the middle of two guys and all of a sudden, the guys on each side, they grab my hands, right, they grab my hands and they cross fingers with my fingers. And we're walking down the street and I was just kind of surprised, like, that's, that's not something we do in Oklahoma City. And... And I kept thinking, well, this is just a sign of affection and it's gonna, it's gonna stop and they're gonna let my hand go. And one mile went down and then two miles went down and three miles went down and by mile four, I was just cool with it. We were, we were swinging arms and it was awesome. And these are my buddies. Um, my point in saying that is that sometimes we can just not get how different cultures are. And our text today, our text today is kind of like that. Uh, I don't know that you could find a place in the gospel of Mark that feels more foreign to us in 2021 than this text. We don't have categories for defilement. We don't really have categories for ritual cleansing. We don't really understand what the contention is. We don't understand the religious world in which Jesus was engaging these people. It feels so foreign to us. And yet here's the thing that's crazy. If you do your work with this text today, if you sit with this text, if you think about what's actually happening in this text, it's it's incredibly relevant to us in this room. It is at the very heart of our biggest need. And and what I want to do today as we walk through this text is I want to go really fast through the confrontation and then I want to pause and I want to camp out with what Jesus says at the end. Because what Jesus says at the end is absolutely essential if you're going to have right knowledge of yourself that leads to right knowledge of God. And those two things are really connected. Um, John Calvin in the Institutes, his great theological book that he wrote, um, which should make most of us feel like failures because he finished that book when he was like 25. I kind of hate him for that. Um, He says at the beginning of the Institutes that knowledge of God and knowledge of self are connected. And the more you know yourself rightly, not... Uh, idealized version of yourself, but the more you really know yourself, the more you can look in the mirror and understand what's going on in your your heart, the more that leads to a deeper understanding of who God is and his provision for us in Jesus. So take your Bible, come with me, let's walk through this text together, starting with the controversy. Verse 1, Now when the the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Okay, pause there for just a second. The contention here has nothing to do with good hygiene, right? They're not stressed out about germs. They're not worried about these guys not washing their hands. Like, I get that that's a concern. I've been in our bathroom plenty of times and seen guys walk from the stall into this room. Gross. 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 Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Okay, but that's not, that's not what these guys are upset about. This has nothing to do with hygiene. This has to do with the traditions that the Pharisees had been handing on to the Jewish people for generations. Look what happens next. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according, pay attention to this next line, according to the tradition of the elders? But they eat with defiled hands. Okay, here's what's happened. Um, Through generations, the teachers of Israel, the Pharisees and the scribes, had tried to take the commands of God's law in the Old Testament, where God had revealed himself and spoken clearly and given clear parameters for cleansing and morality and relationships. And what had happened over the years is the Pharisees had started by trying to unpack those various commandments... But over time, something started to happen. Instead of just explaining the meaning of the commandments, they had built this incredibly huge oral tradition in which they had added to the commandments. And eventually, they even rejected the commandments in favor of their own tradition. And so in the Old Testament, um, the priest was required as he went into the tabernacle to wash his hands as a symbol of the fact that we're not clean before God. But all the people of Israel were not commanded in the Old Testament to wash their hands before they eat. And what had happened over time is these religious leaders had built all these extra rules, and there were so many rules that you basically had two kinds of people in Israel. You had people that were sort of like convinced that they could keep the rules, and they became really arrogant about it, They got puffed up with pride and they would look down their noses at people that didn't keep all the rules. And then you had people that just threw up their hands and gave up. They experienced despair. It's like, well, I can't keep all the rules. There's no hope for me to be received by God and I'm just gonna give up. And in that particular culture, Jesus is preaching and teaching and he is upholding the real commands of God. Jesus does not reduce or remove the real commands of God. He fulfills the commands of God, he teaches the commands of God, and he obeys the commands of God. But Jesus does not give a rip about the tradition of the Pharisees. He doesn't care about the traditions of man. He doesn't care about all the rules and all the regulations that these guys came up with that they are now using culturally to beat people over the head with. He doesn't care, he doesn't care about adding rule upon rule upon rule. In fact, listen, he really cares about the heart of God's commandments because the heart of God's commandments does something really profound to reveal the state of our hearts. Here's what I mean. Like, if it's true that we wash our hands before meals, therefore we're clean before God, is that easier to receive or really believing that the command of God is summed up with, we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength, meaning we're to put nothing in front of God. Our deepest devotion, deepest affection, deepest commitment of life is to be towards God in obedience and affection, a heart that's soft to him. Now, if that's the commandment, and I think we could all say we're actually not clean. Amen? We fall short of that. Or take, take another one. Um, if it's true that if you wash all your pots and pans and your copper vessels, and if you even tithe from the spices in your, in your spice cabinet, that you then are going to be clean before God. Okay, if that's true, well, I'm kind of doing okay. But if the command of God is summed up in in we're to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Meaning like we're not to withhold any good thing that our neighbor needs. We're to give all that we have if a neighbor needs it. That means I'm not clean. (laughs) That's a problem for you. That's a problem for me. And what the Pharisees had done is they had built this weird culture of both arrogance and despair as they had added commandments to God's word, thus rejecting the actual commandments of God's word. And Jesus is really angry about it. He's going to say some really hard things to these guys. Look at verse 6. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God, and you hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. Okay, notice what Jesus says. He calls them hypocrites. Now, there's a couple of different ways of being hypocrites. We can be hypocritical when we teach one thing, but we don't practice it. Amen? Like, if we're telling everybody, hey, you need to recycle, and then we don't recycle, we're a hypocrite. Right? We can be a hypocrite because our words and our actions aren't lined up, but there's a deeper form of hypocrisy that's more insidious. And that's the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Their hypocrisy was not a gap between what they taught and what they did. For the most part, like they were really good at being disciplined about all these rules that they were putting on people's backs. They did the stuff they were telling other people to do. Their hypocrisy was deeper and darker in that they were hypocrites because they gave lip service to God. They talked about God. They prayed their prayers and they did their liturgies, but their hearts were far from God. There was a gap, not between what they said and what they did, but between what they said and did and the state of their souls. Elsewhere, Jesus is going to call these guys out and he's going to say, Hey, your hearts are like your hearts are like tombs, like whitewashed tombs. And it looks so clean on the outside and and you keep all the rules and everything's buttoned up and you're really prideful about your prayers and your rituals and your liturgies, but at the core of who you are, and by the way, that's what the heart is in the scriptural view of humanity. The heart's not just the organ beating in your chest, pumping oxygen through your body. Your Your heart is the very essence of who you are. It's the core of your being. It's the part of you that directs your desires. It's the part of you that loves and has disordered loves. It's the, part of you, it's the part of you that actually drives the deeper values of your life. And what Jesus says to these guys is you're hypocrites because you talk about God and you pray prayers and you act like you're righteous, but you're just painting this tomb full of rotten bodies with whitewash because on the inside, you don't really love God and you don't really love your neighbor, you're disconnected from God, you're not in all of God, you don't fear God, and you don't love people, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees was the gap between what they said and did and the state of their heart. And this is really close to home for us. We don't struggle with ritual washings. That's not the debate in our church right now. But there's not a person in this room that doesn't feel the pull, the temptation, that doesn't get trapped in patterns of having lip service paid to God while a heart is really cold. Or even feeling moved by the glory of God and amazed by the work of Jesus and cold to neighbor. There's a gap there in our lives. And what Jesus is saying is that vain worship is external show without internal alignment and transformation. It's duty without delight. It's possible to be doing the right things on the outside for the wrong reasons, and that's not a win. It's keeping rituals and rejecting repentance. I mean, it's possible for us to pray through our confession and assurance every single week and say the right things and say, hey, Father, forgive me. I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed and have a heart that has zero repentance in it. There can be a gap. And what Jesus is getting at, what Jesus is getting at is the very core of our problem. And to get to the core of our problem, he gives a really painful example of just how badly religion goes wrong. Look what happens in verse 10. Verse 10. Okay, this is a little confusing again. Corban is not a word that we're used to. Um, In their religious imagination, for something to be Corban means it was dedicated to God. And that sounds super spiritual, right? What had happened over time though, is that these Pharisees had a practice and they were teaching the children of Israel to have a practice where they would declare their wealth Corban, meaning set apart for God. They would still use it for their own needs. And then if their parents were sick, or hurting or needed help and ask for assistance financially from their kids, they would then look at their parents and say, ah, I would love to help you, but I am so spiritual that I've dedicated all of my worldly possessions to God. It's God's not mine. I can't help you. This is just how dark man-centered religion goes. It's insidious. Man-centered religion can be used as a cover-up for all that is the worst in our hearts while at the same time we feel self-righteous and superior. Man-centered religion is manifested by these guys who are rebuking Jesus while avoiding repentance and faith. And I think that this is, again, the danger for you and me, is that we we can play games with this, and we can do all kinds of weird things in our walk with Jesus that amount to legalisms, where we have all these rules that we've added to the actual commands of God that are not even in the Bible. And we can have all kinds of legalisms. We can have religious legalisms. This is where we add traditions to the word of God and we start to act like those traditions are more authoritative than scripture. That can be about style of worship. That can be about quiet time. That can be about journaling. It can be about community groups. It can be about a thousand different things. I remember when I planted frontline church, we were really legalistic about not being legalistic. True story, man. Like I didn't want to plant a church in the Bible belt. I didn't want to reach people that were Christians. And so I was just super rude to them. Super rude. I was super judgmental towards anybody I thought might be judgmental. Okay. That's legalism. We can have family traditions that start to trump God's word things that we learned about what you can and can't do that start to shape our way of life and our marriages and the way we raise our kids that actually can trump what God actually says in Scripture. We can do this with political traditions. I know none of you guys struggle with that, but some people do in other churches. That's when your political traditions and your, your party's platform is not thought through Critically, in light of God's word, where it's on an even playing field with God's word. I'll give you a quick aside, which is uh, for both Republicans and Democrats in the room. If Jesus never disagrees with your party, you might not be worshiping the real Jesus. We can do this with cultural traditions. Like there's things we take for granted as Western consumers that actually we've elevated practically and functionally above God's clear commands in scripture. And what happens with all these traditions and these legalisms is the commands of God get neglected and therefore we don't get introduced to the real problem that we're facing and the real solution that God offers. So take your Bible, let's look at verse 14. This is where Jesus pulls back our rib cage and he invites us to see just how much we really need help. Verse 14, and he called the people to him again, and he said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person, nothing outside a person, that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And we had entered the house and left the people. His disciples asked him about this parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, the core of his being, but his stomach and is expelled. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft and murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness, all these things, all these evil things come from within. And they are what defile a person. This is crazy. Like, listen, if our problems with defilement are external problems, meaning like, Hey, to be pleasing to God and received by God, um, we have to have different habits and we have to add new rituals to our life. If that's our problem, external stuff, then external solutions will work just fine. However, if our problem before God is not that our bodies or our hands are dirty, but that from within our hearts come disordered desires, not loving God and loving God's stuff more than we want him. Coveting and jealousy and anger and hatred and lust and adultery. If these are not problems that are out there, but these are problems that are in here, then all of our legalisms and all of our rituals, you can stack them up on top of each other and they're never gonna be enough to get to the real problem. Let me me take it one step further. If our problems are external people, Like we live in a moment that is so obsessed and and it's not just out there, it's in this room. We're so obsessed with everybody else being our problem. Our parents are our problem. Our spouse is our problem. Those people over there are the problem. This person in my community group is my problem. This person over here that did this thing to me is my problem. And by the way, I'm not negating the fact that those people might've been really terrible to you. But if your problems are all external people, then again, external solutions are enough. You can just cut everybody off. The problem is if you are your own biggest problem and if I'm my own biggest problem, then external solutions, including external solutions to people out there are not the solution that we need. Jesus is saying that the core problem is not out there It's not someone to blame and it's not a ritual and it's not just learning new behaviors and habits externally. That's not enough. Jesus is saying that at the very core of our being, something is twisted and wrong. What needs to be washed is not our hands. What needs to be washed is our hearts. And the Pharisees were totally blind to this. Um, It's really fun and and, interesting just like amazing to get to have my son training really hard right now. It's really fun to get to watch him doing Muay Thai and thinking about his future. And it's just fun to see my boy into a sport and to get to support him in that. And uh, <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, two of his good buddies from school invited my son to their mosque for a night of training. So at their mosque, they have a program where they do um, some grappling, some jiu some Muay Thai. And they knew that Elijah's super into Muay Thai, so they invited him to come. And uh, he went with his buddies to the mosque and they started training and had a good class and he met the coach and it was a lot of fun. And a couple of times throughout the evening, there were pauses for prayer where the Muslims that were in the mosque would stop and they would frequently wash themselves. They would wash themselves before they engaged in prayer. And what's interesting about that is like, in some ways, they're way ahead of most of us culturally because they actually know that there's something that needs to be fixed, and for so many of us with a pervasive Western worldview, like we we've been shaped by pop psychology to such a degree that we think the biggest problem with us is that we think that we might have a problem. And Elijah had a conversation with his buddies after, after practice. And I'm just so proud of those kids because what they're wrestling with, they're trying to figure out what they believe, and what they're wrestling with is this deep sense that I think almost everybody has, if we can be honest. That if there is a God, we don't stack up to his demands and requirements. And thus, they're trying to do things. They're trying to wash. They're trying to earn. They're trying to engage. I think that it was really encouraging to process that with my son and for him to say, hey, I just don't think no matter what I could ever clean myself up. I'm too messed up. I need Jesus to wash me. See, what Jesus is saying in this text is so important. It's saying that you and me have a greater enemy than somebody that's out there that's wronged you. The greater enemy is inside your own rib cage. There's a traitor within. And blaming and pointing the finger and modifying your behavior and doing external tweaks to who you are, those are all things that fall short of actually cleaning where you're really dirty where we're really dirty is in the core of our being. GK Chesterton famously wrote into a newspaper that was doing an editorial, what's the problem with the world? And Chesterton wrote back in these words, I am. Though that doesn't take away from the fact that, man, maybe your family of origin was a hot mess. Maybe your parents totally failed you. Maybe your spouse really is awful. Maybe, maybe your friends really did hurt you. Those things all could be true. But what Jesus is inviting his hearers into is a sense of agency and responsibility in which we respond to the reality of what's most wrong with us, which is us. <laughs> And the invitation of God is to actually see that we're way more messed up than what we thought. We're way more broken than what we thought. We don't get labeled sinners because we occasionally sin. We sin because we are sinners. And in the midst of that brokenness, in the midst of that disconnect, what's so amazing about the gospel is that you are invited to a sober introduction to the real you that doesn't then lead to despair. It leads to the offer of God's grace in Jesus. These same guys, Jesus' disciples, these same guys that the Pharisees are dogging because they don't wash their hands ritually, on the night Jesus is betrayed, he's going to take water and he's going to wash their feet. And then he's going to be hung on a cross. And after he dies, one of the guards is going to jam a spear under his ribcage, into his heart, and the scripture tells us that blood and water flowed. The kind of cleansing that we need is not something we can do on our own. It's something that only he can accomplish. It's the kind of cleansing that comes from his blood, the righteous one's blood being shed in our place. And I just think today that the invitation of God is, maybe your husband is really frustrating Maybe your husband is super frustrated. Maybe your husband is really sinful. But breaking breaking the carousel of blaming and saying, hey, I'm not going to be able to take responsibility to change my spouse, but what I can do is take responsibility for what's wrong in my own heart and bring that to Jesus and do your own work breaks the merry go round. And maybe your wife is so frustrating. (laughs) And maybe there's all kinds of things that she should do differently, but you're not ultimately able to change her. You break the merry-go-round when you say, hey, actually, the biggest problem in my life is not my spouse, it's not my parents. The biggest problem in my life is the fact that out of my heart come all these things that Jesus just mentioned. (laughs) And what I need is to learn to confess that and take responsibility for that and to bring that to God so that I can grow in following Jesus and obeying the actual commands of God. Your family of origin may have been really bad. I'll, I'll give you just a little bit of bad news if you don't have kids yet. You will probably also suck at being a parent. <laughs> it's so hard, man. It is so hard, man. If you, it is very difficult to stick the landing. <laughs> very difficult. And I think what's so different, what's so unique about the Bible's anthropology, the Bible's view of humanity is that it's way way more honest about how messed up and sinful and broken and deserving of wrath we are without becoming this morose or morbid obsession with self. Taking a look at actually what comes out of your heart should not lead to a life of simple introspection where you try to change it it should lead to you lifting up your eyes to Jesus Christ crucified for you, to him making intercession for you, to him being available to help you, to his desire to lead you into greater and greater transformation. Behaviors matter. But what scripture is really clear about is that you're never gonna start with the behavior and then change your heart. The work of Jesus starts with the heart and then we learn to conform our behaviors to the heart. God, I, I thank you so much for being honest with us. Thank you for inviting us in to how sick we are, that we're too sick for, we're too sick for little cures. And uh, religion offers a little cure. And We're too sick for shifting the blame to everybody else. God, we ask that you would help us in this moment to be honest and to turn to you and to receive fresh mercy and grace. Um, Lord, we, we just confess that we are all in this room prone to having the same kind of hypocrisy as the, as the Pharisees. And we don't want to have mouths that pay you lip service and hearts that are cold to you. We want that gap to be closed. So Holy Spirit, would you make the person and work of Jesus more alive in our lives? Would you help us to see him and to trust him and to love him? And even as we work really hard on changing external behaviors to line up with loving God and loving neighbor, we pray that you would remind us again and again that that work hinges upon a heart that's seeing and trusting Jesus every day again. God, I pray for um, couples in the room that are stuck on the merry-go-round of blaming. I just pray that you would give one of them, Lord, I don't even care which one, just give one of them the courage to get off of the stupid merry-go-round, to do their own work before God, to take responsibility for their contribution to what's broken and dysfunctional in their home. God, I pray that today would be a day that even those of us that have Frustrating upbringings and hurtful upbringings that you would help us to stop using that as an excuse to forgive our parents as we've been forgiven. To exercise healthy agency is one of the gifts that you've given us after we become born again. Pray this stuff in the name of Jesus, amen.